0: Ever feel like you've lost your true self, that the voice of the real you has faded away or become hidden behind that corporate mask for so long, that somewhere along the way to the life of your dreams, you now find yourself in a life that you don't really want, that doesn't really reflect who you actually are. Stefan Bramble, performing artist turned consultant who helps organizations improve leadership, increase engagement and prevent burnout, joins me today to discuss how we can create joy and meaning in our lives redefining our voice through play, being our authentic selves, being vulnerable and showing our heart, and perhaps most importantly, being bold, speaking up, and having our voices heard. Let's get started. Welcome to Imperfect Action. I'm Brock Edwards. Today's guest is Stefan Bramble. And Stefan, your your job description here, I love this. You are the director of Brazen, a facilitator, and a fun guy. And <laughs> <laughs> everyone should have a job title that good, but that is a tough job title to live up
1: to. <laughs> well, uh, I like to. So, having done. Um, performing arts and clown training for the past, oh really since I was in primary school. If there's one thing that I reckon I can manage is to be a fun guy. Now, if you ask me to be like a proper, it, the, the part of that title that really scares me is director of Brazen. Like the business side of it is what frightens me. <laughs> the being a fun guy and enjoying myself, I've like trained hard to be able to do that. So, yeah.
0: All right, so you got to tell me, how did you make this leap from performing arts to being the director of Brazen? In, in fact, before you even get there, what is Brazen? What's that about?
1: Uh, so Brazen, um, really, uh, my business partner and I were talking about this name for a while, and Brazen actually really sums up exactly what it is that we come in and do. So I, um, my journey in facilitation and training Uh, started uh, when I left high school. Um, And actually the whole story, but both of those stories are sort of wrapped up in one thing. Um, So I um, was always in the performing arts. I was an actor, a a performer from from a really young age um, and went into teaching, went into youth work and facilitation, sort of working with disadvantaged kids. And what... I quickly noticed is we are training people the way we do um, education in the Western system uh, we take away people's voice Uh, we make people very very nervous to stand out in the crowd and brazen is about allowing people to be bold to be brazen to speak up to have their voice heard in the collective so that we can actually make the world the place we want it to be so that's the big it's a big, broad dream for what brazen is, um, a group of people that help others to be brazen and bold and loud and heard and confident. I love that.
0: So, mm-hmm. and, and, you know, the theme of the podcast is imperfect action. It is really getting unstuck, transforming our lives to be our best selves, whether we're talking about our, our businesses or our careers or just in our lives and the idea of education or even just, you know, life in general kind of slowly over time taking away our voice, Mm. you know, so how do we find that voice? I mean, the voice is there, it's ours. We have it. It's been suppressed. How do we open that back up?
1: Well, I, I, I think it's, that's one of those uh, answers. One of my favorite sayings that I like to say is to a, to a hammer, everything is a nail. And so because I've trained in clown and comedy my whole life, and play to me the answer is remembering what we were like when we were five years old, and and the answer to that is through play. So I um, I came to clown and 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 the study of comedy. Probably uh, probably a, later than most performing artists. So I was probably about 25 before I discovered Clown. And the main premise of Clown is that you need to remind yourself of what it is to be a child and to explore things without fear. So I, I don't have children myself, but for, for yourself and for your listeners out there that do have children, when you play with a five-year-old and you say, let's be let's be a superhero, they don't ask you how we're going to be a superhero and what our values are and let's figure out exactly how we're going to map it out. They just become a superhero. They don't care. They, they take an imperfect action. They try something out and then they discover as they're going. But something happens to us in our teenage years and something happens to us when we start taking on the role of adult that we feel that we can't make mistakes anymore. And the moment you remove the capacity to make mistakes, you can no longer play. Um, so, I mean, my answer is to rediscover play again.
0: Uh, as you're saying that, I'm, I'm wondering, you know, as a child, there are no consequences to imagination. In mm. fact, we, we we kind of expect children to fully use their imagination. I mean, as adults, it's amusing. It's cool. We love to see it, but it reminds us of who we were and it's just fun to see people, you know, be fearless. And yet as an adult, it strikes me that there are, if not consequences, there's at least the perception of consequences. It mm. you know, often feels like we are collectively pretending that there are consequences there, (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, you know, waiting for someone else to go first. Mm -hmm. And uh, you know, I'm just thinking as I'm talking here, so this is a little bit rambly, but you know, so are there actual consequences or is there a way that we can get beyond them as we're trying to play and explore and, you know, be brazen, be bold as adults?
1: I I think, I, I think that's a really important distinction to make. So I work with, Lots of different professions. Um, One of my favourite clients is I I work for a medium-sized law firm in Melbourne and we'll often talk about this because I'll talk about being playful and um, finding a game and finding joy in the work that we're doing. And then someone will usually put up their hand and say, yeah, but I can't be playful when I'm negotiating a billion-dollar contract with an oil company. And to me, I think we have to, like, it's really important to accept that there are different contexts and there are different games that we play. So when I'm talking about play, I'm actually, often I'm actually talking about the group and the family. So when we're being internal-facing, finding a sense of play and joy, that's actually how monkeys make themselves learn how to do difficult things, That's how we evolved to be able to to build a house or to hunt, yeah? We made the activity, we, we created a sense of fun in ourselves in order to keep us trying over and over again to perfect something. Now, what happens is we play the game of war with all of our fellow monkeys and we learn how to play war and we wrestle and we fight and we laugh while we're doing it. But then when the other monkey tribe attacks us and we actually have to be in war, well, the context switches us into something that then does have results. So so I think it's about being very aware of what the contexts are, what the contexts are that we're actually playing within. Um, In the same way, the analogy I would give is an actor on stage that is playing a comedy scene, And an actor on stage that is playing a murder scene they're both playing a game it's just that the the stakes and the given circumstances are totally different so it's about being very aware of what they are and and what role we're taking up while we're playing games and i mean i think this is like when 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 i hear myself talking about this this is why if you sit down with a bunch of clowns and you start talking about play they get very serious because se- play is a really serious business. You know, you, you really take it serious so as people can be light while they're doing it. Um, and a surgeon who is working on someone, they need to be really serious while they play the game of figuring out how to help the person that they're working on.
0: You know, uh, previous guest, Dr. Max McCowan, he had made the comment that joy is not a distraction. And I love that thought, but I I do have to ask, so I'm trying to picture and I may be too stuck in stereotypes. So, you know, Mm. feel free to correct me here. But when I think of a law firm, medium-sized law firm Mm. sitting around thinking, if only we had someone who knew how to do comedy, (laughs) that would change everything for us. Um, Yeah. That doesn't sound like a natural, like their first leap. So, (laughs)
1: <laughs> well, I think what's great about that question, Brock, is you're identifying my, uh, the difficulty in selling my business. <laughs> so what I've often said is I think me and my business partner and people that are doing this kind of work, we've spotted a problem that the industry doesn't know they have yet. Mm. And so I would frame it like this. When I, I met a woman who had just graduated law, law school And she said, when we started, when I started doing law, everyone wanted to go into corporate law. By the time I finished, everyone wanted to go to a startup. And the reason was the quality of the life at work was totally different. There was more of a sense of adventure and fun and the work-life balance was, was better. They worked harder, but they got to be more themselves. Now the law firms that end up hiring me are aware that the culture that we're putting corporate lawyers through is actually the, the the rates of depression and suicide amongst lawyers is the highest of any occupation. And it's one thing to say, yes, we must be serious when we're out facing, but when we're in facing, we've got to figure out how we can actually be a real family together. So the law firms that end up working with me are the ones that recognise that it's all well and good to be to put on a certain mask when we're facing the world, but what we're not doing is taking care of each other when we're being internal facing. Um, and and those are the ones that see the work that I'm doing, so they often see me facilitate and see me play and see me link that to psychology and group dynamics, and then. Often they'll say, I don't understand what you do, but I know that we need that. We need to find a sense of play and love and support. And the best way to get into that is to have someone who can guide us there that is external but knows how to do it in a joyful way, with a sense of joy because it can be really painful to bring yourself to work.
0: We may have answered my question here, but I actually have kind of a a split question then. And that is what are, what are these firms attracted to about your work and what is it that they actually get out of the work?
1: Mm -hmm. I, 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 what was really interesting for me is because my journey into running my own business was more like the market demanded it of me. So the, the story behind how I started was that I was working um, on a program that was doing soft skills for um, disadvantaged young people, so homeless kids, refugees, people of Indigenous background, um, any group that was um, finding it difficult to achieve uh, in society. And I was taking these young people into corporates um, because the corporates were acting as mentors And I was doing communication workshops with these young people and they'd start the week and these young people would come in and they wouldn't look you in the eye. They sort of looked like they didn't like you and I'd I'd do some work with them and then by the time we took them into the workplaces, those young people were helping the mentors get over their nervousness of meeting them. And that's when those workplaces were like, well, what are you doing with these young people? Because clearly we need the same level of work. And so I started coming into organisations because people were not being able to talk to each other. People were not able to make speeches. People would go to networking events and be dripping with sweat and and, uh, in complete flight or fright because they had to go in and attempt to sell their firm. So it was really clear to those managers that we need to do something to actually ease the white-collar fear and pain around meeting the other. And so I start. they said, do you reckon you can do some of that work? And I said, look, well, we'll find out. Um, And then I started to use the skills that I'd learned through studying clown. Um, And really what clown does is it lets you show your true self. It lets you really let someone see who you are underneath all the armour in, in a safe way. Um, and, and so what they started to notice is that after they would do the work with me, the teams would function better. There would be higher levels of engagement. They were also better at selling their product because I don't know if you've got this in America, but we call it a, you know, a BS detector in Australia. Ours is pretty high. Um, And when you can walk in and be authentically yourself in a room and sell a product that you have because you really believe in it, people can feel that and the trust goes through the roof and then sales become really simple and easy to do. So, I mean, it's sort of like externally, it's about communicating your message well and internally, it's about creating a sense of family and safety where people can challenge each other, but love each other at the same time.
0: Well, if you were trying to figure out a, a sales pitch, um, that last bit was actually a pretty good one there. Um, <laughs> you know, the idea of showing our true selves, you know, there's a lot of talk about being your authentic self, but I don't know that we think beyond the label. What, what, is, what does that mean to be able to show your true self?
1: Mm. So, I mean, I'm sure you're aware of the work of the wonderful Dr. Brene Brown. Absolutely. Um, so really, the, um, like, like any superhero, I have a foundation myth and that was um, that I had gotten really into Brene Brown and um, was reading all her books and looking at all her talks and um, really interested in what she was doing about being vulnerable and she really sold me i completely believed that the best way and and do believe that the best way to be a functioning human in the world is to be vulnerable because that's the birthplace of so many important things both in your personal life but also in your in your work life the problem and I, and i think this is acknowledged by dr brown is that she can tell you that you need to be vulnerable. She's not very good at telling you how to be vulnerable. Um, and so I was reading all of her books and at the same time I decided to go and study clown with the world's best clown teacher, a guy called Philippe Gollier, in uh, Paris. And I was reading his book and I was travelling on this train an hour out of Paris every day and then going to clown school. And I was being very, I wasn't, doing very well. And Philippe is a scary, scary, horrible man. Um, He will will tell you how horrible you're being on stage and he has no qualms in telling you that you are not a very good performer, Um, uh, which is sort of a a method of teaching clown. He does it with his tongue in his cheek, but he's brutal. And on about the third week, of training with Philippe and reading this book and reading about how it's important to be vulnerable, I'd gone on stage and Philippe had given me a task. He told me to, to play a simple ball game with someone and while I was waiting to score a point in this game, I had to talk to the audience. And I started and I just broke down. I just started crying because i travelled all the way to Paris and my hero was watching me be a really bad performer. And I just wanted everyone to love me. And then I just started weeping and begging the audience to love me. And the moment I did that, everyone erupted in laughter. And I could feel it. I could feel my heart open up and I could feel being directly connected with the audience. And I wasn't trying to be funny. I was just being myself. And the audience connected to their feelings of fear as well. And, you know, I got my laughs and Philippe said nice things. And then as soon as I got off stage, he said, now, never walk back onto my stage and pretend to be something you're not ever again. Because the moment you walk onto the stage as a clown, we can see everything you are. And when you pretend you're not that, when you pretend you're brave, when you're feeling scared, we hate you, but when you show us your heart, we fall in love with you. And so the, the short answer to that question is the, the only way that you can, uh, you can let people see who you really are is to, is to explore the self and to butt up against all the armour that we put on, all the games that we play to try to be something other than we are. I mean, even in this conversation that we're having now, what we're aiming to do, you and I, is we're aiming to get past all of, the, all of the signifiers, our age, our race, our clothes that we wear, and actually see the core of the person that we're with. That's the desire between any human interaction. And in order to get there quickly with people, you have to do the work, you have to explore yourself, see a psychologist, talk to your best friends about (laughs) all of the weirdnesses that, you know, make up who you are. And so it's like a lifelong journey of, of making yourself open up to the world. I don't know if that's too esoteric an answer, (laughs) but it's the only one I got.
0: Well, it's off to a good start there. And because you mentioned creating a, a more direct connection, Mm. And so what kind of what I took from what you were mentioning about what you were learning and what uh, Dr. Brené Brown was talking about is that, you know, the only way to be vulnerable is to be, be vulnerable.
1: Mm.
0: And that there may not be a, you know, a five-step process to it. Mm. Mm. Um, But so that direct connection. So as you're coaching leaders or coaching people in groups, Mm. what is your advice to them to help the group create a dynamic where they're is a greater chance of people having a more direct connection with each other.
1: Uh, So I think one of the reasons, one of the reasons it can happen in the workshops that I run is I, so leadership is clearly very important. So you have to feel that there is a sense of authority that is holding a boundary. So as you can walk into that space and feel safe now, not often, but you know, regularly enough, the organisation that I'm walking into, the leadership hasn't created safety enough for people to be vulnerable. So a lot of my work is I walk in and I hold authority, and I don't let anything happen in that room that doesn't support everyone who's who's in the room. Um, so. Creating a, a really safe place for taking risk. Now, that doesn't mean that the space isn't dangerous because playing requires an element of danger, but people have to feel safe to step into that danger. So, I think that's one that's really important. And I think, actually, exactly what you said about there's no five step process. So, a performer practices every day how to stand in front of their community and strip off their armor and be who they are. And they do that every day. They show up and they practice the skill every day. So I think the mistake that people make when they talk about vulnerability and leadership is they think, well, if I go and do a course, well, then I'll be a good leader. Whereas, no, 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 it's a practice. It's like being being an artist. You have to constantly be engaged in the process of practicing being vulnerable and you're not going to get it every time <laughs> you know you but you you need to have that that philosophy that you're doing it over for the rest of your life um in the same way that y- you are running this podcast and you are learning and developing yourself it doesn't it never actually stops so what I try to do is set up a prolonged community of practice where we're all attempting to be the most ourselves that we can be with each other.
0: Our most ourselves we can be. <laughs> uh, <laughs> no, that, I mean, that, that's a great phrase. It, it indicates a spectrum, not mm. a binary I'm being authentic or I'm not being authentic, you know,
1: Mm, mm. and
0: humans are much more complicated than the either or that it probably is on a spectrum of how close am I getting to being Mm. the most myself that I can be.
1: Mm. What that makes me think of is yes, that is I'd never actually thought of it in spectrum, but we are always, we're always moving closer or further away from that core. Now, if you've got a really good internal sense of self, you know when you're doing it. And it strikes me that this, this helps us not just in leadership or not just in sales or not just in ugh, anything. This helps us all across our lives. And I'm thinking on the weekend I was uh, hanging out with my partner and we were talking about like there was some issue in our relationship and it just we just felt it. Like we just felt that both of us were not being, we were further away from being ourselves. And then we had a conversation where we started to talk about, well, what do we need? And then by the end of it, both of us were like, oh, I feel like me again, you know? So I feel like that internal sense is a really good gauge of whether you're in the right place, whether you're living your values and whether you're you're contributing to the community like you need to be contributing. But because we don't do the arts in schools like we should I don't know what the American system is like but in Australia we don't value the arts like we should um, we're not training young people to grow up with a really strong internal sense of their own selfhood now that I suppose that would used to happen with religion and and, and the arts but if you don't have that sense of self how do you know whether you're in the right place and that's why you get people who are successful doctors and lawyers and that you know they've been working in a career for 20 years and then suddenly they turn around and go well I don't I don't want to be a doctor or a lawyer I actually want to be an ice cream salesman you know because we've been shutting people off from this internal sense of self and most of what I do is turning people on to that internal sense of self and when you get down to it that's what an actor does. An actor walks on stage and knows who their self is in response to someone else's. And then they allow people to watch the dance of those two selves together.
0: Now, that sense of self, like, like you mentioned, that there, there may have been mechanisms, outlets, I'm not sure what the right word is, in the past that help people develop that better. Mm. And, but if today, if people aren't developing that sense of self and and they're finding themselves in jobs where it's not clear, you know, is it that the job is just kind of really cruddy and no one would be great here? Is it that Mm. if I show up differently, suddenly the job will show up differently?
1: Mm. Hmm. You know, so,
0: so do I do I need to be better or do I need to get out? And I realize that's a different answer in every situation.
1: And but I yeah, just hadn't
0: yeah. really thought about it that way until our conversation here.
1: Yeah, uh, well, that's it's interesting because one of the things that I will often say to a prospective client when they talk about doing work with me is I'll say to them, "I'm going to do work, and there will be discussions about the job that will come up, and." I'm never going to push a party line. So if someone does work with me and then realises at the end of that work, actually I'm in the wrong profession and I need to do something different, I'm not going to say yes or no to that, but I'm going to encourage that person to, to really ask themselves the question of whether they're in the right place. Now, a really good HR manager hears me say that and goes, absolutely, that's great. Because we want people that are in the role that really matches and suits who they are, um, and and so I suppose it's like do you, do you do you craft the job around yourself or do you find yourself the right job? And admittedly, and I also have to put a massive caveat on this. I am the children of migrants, and you know, to have, to even have this conversation, I am talking about a section of the population that is very privileged to be able to make choices about their their career based on what they like to do. My, I'm Italian. So my nonno, if I had talked to him, if I told him I am, I help people get job satisfaction, he would have laughed at me and asked what that even means (laughs) because he went to a job, he worked in a factory and he earned his money to pay for his family to go to school, you know? So it brings up a whole bunch of questions <laughs> when you start to explore it.
0: Well, it, you know, it is a different set of expectations. One uh, of our guests, uh, Maya Nudicek, is uh, actually, you mentioned HR. She, she's uh, HR, um, actually I think head of HR for Vega IT, which is a, a software company in Serbia. And she was talking about how, you know, they're a very unique company with a very unique culture. And her parents don't believe that she loves her job. You know, she has been through, I think she said, two or three wars just in her lifetime. Hmm. And she's not that old.
1: Hmm. And,
0: you know, kind of that same set of expectations, I think. Now, she didn't say this, but just the idea that, you know, you're alive and you have a job probably ought to be good enough.
1: Hmm.
0: And, And yet, you know, they are actively crafting a company where uh, that that's not even the, the, the low bar, you know, they, they are creating a, a phenomenal place to work. And it is such a different expectation. And it just strikes me that one of the things that perhaps causes uh, all of us uh, a bit of strife is that, you know, when you don't have any options, well, you know, it's pretty easy. You know, back in the days when there were three TV channels, at least here in America, yep. Yep. you know, you, you knew it was on, you watched it. yeah, And, you know, now that we have how many channels plus everything that's available on Netflix, plus everything that's available on YouTubes. I mean, you can spend it all night before you just decide what you even want to see. Mm. Just crippled mm. by choice. And so I wonder, and this is sorry, a long way around to the idea of how much of uh, people's dissatisfaction or just um, search for self comes out of the this open space that we have the opportunity to fill in our lives that previous generations and previous circumstances perhaps didn't allow for
1: yes and I mean isn't isn't that an interesting isn't that an interesting uh, dilemma and opportunity that we get to have with all of the advances that we've been able to make as human beings in the world I mean when you go back a thousand years, the the choices that we had to, you know, that they were actually limited, and there's a I completely the idea that people with limited choices, um, you know, a thousand years ago didn't have to be concerned with these bigger questions of selfhood. I think that is a really interesting discussion, and and really, I, I, as you were speaking, I think one of so. In actor training, the class that will make people cry the most and have the biggest issues is voice class. So when I was going through acting school, the, the, the four hours a day that we did voice class was when everyone would break down and cry. And I remember thinking, why is that? We're doing these classes where people are standing up and doing performances and, you know, you know being good, not being good and being torn apart by a teacher and people could cope with that. But the moment you put them in a voice class, that's when they freak out. And it took me ages to realize that the voice is is complete. We completely can construct within limits whatever voice we want. I can choose to speak low. I can choose to speak high. I can put on an accent. I can do all the different things that I want to do with my voice. Whereas my body, if I want to change it, it's going to take a long period of time. And what I began to realize is the reason we all freaked out about voice is because once you realize that you can completely change your voice in a second, that means you can completely change your identity in a second, which means identity is not fixed. And then you start to feel untethered from your sense of self because you start to go, well, I could be anyone I want to be. And that is a really can, can be a really frightening thought. Uh, in my life and in my development as a person, it's been one of my favourite thoughts and it's also been something that scares the living daylights out of me. Um, and so I think when we are in these occupations where we do have free time and we do have resources and suddenly we are faced with this question, well, what makes me happy? That, that we, do, we do not equip people for how painful that question can be. if you actually don't know what your desires are. Um, Yeah, one of the exercises I do a lot is I get people to draw what they want for their future. And inevitably, when when I do this, if 30 people are doing it, there'll probably be one or two people that find it so challenging that they break down. And then I'll go to them and I'll say, hey, how are you going with the activity? And they'll say, I don't know what I want. I don't know. (laughs) And that's really full on, really full on. So it's, I I think it's like equipping people with this new self actualizing philosophy of self. Um, That's a real challenge that we face nowadays and it's coming up more and more in our corporations, but in our schools and in our lives and with our partners yeah. And there is no answer. <laughs> there is just the practice of.
0: Now, when they uh, break down not knowing the future, is it because there's too many options for them to choose from, or just they truly cannot think about the future? Like they, they mm. feel like they should have an answer and it's just blank.
1: Well, it's interesting because I mean, I the the, the responses... It's their internal response that they're going through. And often they won't be able to verbalise what it is that they're going through. So I can only make hypotheses from the outside because actually it's a lack of self-knowledge. So they it takes them a while to be able to verbalise what's actually going on. Um, so I'm making guesses from the outside and then I'm also putting it on, I'm projecting my personal experience of when I've faced those kind of questions. Um, and I, it makes me think of, of two things. Um, I think sometimes we are living lives that we don't want to be living, but we're doing them because we think they're the right thing to do. So it, as part of, you know, in, in my journey to where I am, I was for a very long time in a relationship that I didn't want to be in, and so I was repressing a lot of my desires, heaps And so I had to keep that door very firmly shut. Now, if you had have asked me at that time, what do you want? I would not have been able to engage in that question because opening the door to my desires would have broken this very delicate life that I'd set up for myself. So I think sometimes that's going on for people. And you have to be sensitive to let people to open doors when they're ready to open them. And then... Um, from my experience, it's, it, it, what strikes me as I think back is it's usually men that, that go through a bit of pain around this question and, and gender comes up a lot in the work that I do and I'm talking in general, I, I kind of hate talking about gender because it is such a big, it's such a, it feels like such a broad brush stroke to put people in, but generally... There's a group of people in our society who have, not, who have been taught not to feel their feelings and not to feel their desires because it's considered unmasculine or, or not tough. And so when you force someone to sit in a room and turn on their internal sense of desire, um, that can be incredibly confronting if their whole life they've been told, don't feel things don 't feel a sense of loss don't feel a sense of love don't feel a sense of joy you know just do your automaton work that you're going to do so I, th- I think that's going on a little bit you t- You turn on emotions or you turn on feelings and it's just too much and people need to step back a little bit well what does your future look like <laughs> that's a that's a great question hmm I was talking with my my Business partner or, or future business partner about um, what the future for both of us looks like, actually, recently. And so this is always forming, but the more of this work that I do, the more I'm getting really into joy and play. How can we create a world where we have more joy in our work and in our life? And What I really want to do is start a community of practice around creating a sense of joy and play in all the things we do, even the things that are difficult, because if we can approach problems with a sense of joy, we're going to get joy, we're going to get or play or lightness, it's about finding the right words, but if we approach problems with with a sense of that lightness, we're going to get solutions that make we're going to get a world that feels less harsh. Um, So my future, I think, involves, and I'm I'm visualising it now, helping us all and myself find this sense of joy in the day-to-day, this sense of meaning in our lives, like practical application of philosophy. Um, That's my dream, at least. And having a lot of conversations like this, I kind of, this is my jam. This is, this is, if nothing else happens, but getting to have conversations like this, I think the world would be a better place.
0: Well, speaking of conversations, where can people find you?
1: Um, So I am on the internets. uh, So I have a site um, www.brazen.co. Sorry, thebrazen.co. Uh, and i've also got stephanbramble.com as well so all of the um information is on there all of the um connections is on there i am up for having discussions and conversations with anyone who who hears this uh this message of of selfhood and is interested by it because i think the more of us that get together and talk about what we're doing we can start to form this solution that we're all sort of working towards that people like yourself and and the people that you've mentioned are working towards so feel free to get in touch
0: excellent well well final question for you here today stefan and question i ask all my guests and that is how can the listeners help you what what would your ask be of them
1: Hmm. i remember from listening your podcast and i didn't even prepare an answer for this i think uh more stories and more conversations. And I feel like my job in this global tribe of ours, this community that we're forming, is to, is to help facilitate a sense of joy and wonder in the world. And in order to do that, I need people that will help guide me in how to do that in the most ethical, responsible And practical way. So I'm looking for friends to come and play with me on the playground. So I'm kind of at the monkey bars at the slide. And I'm, I want more friends to come and play and shape who I am and how I work. And I want to help shape who other people are and how they work too. Uh,
0: Very good. Well, this has been fantastic. Really enjoyed this conversation. And uh, thank you so much for being on.
1: Oh, my pleasure. Thank you so much, Brock. I think it's a fantastic podcast. I've really enjoyed it.
0: Thank you for listening to this an episode of Imperfect Action. Now, I do have a personal request of you. Hopefully you took as much from today's episode and today's guest as I did. I always get so much out of these conversations. And you know, we are all on this life journey together. And I believe together we have this tremendous opportunity to help others grow and improve just as much as we have the opportunity to help ourselves grow and improve. And so there are several ways that we can do this. And this is my, my simple ask of you. And that is to just simply share this episode with your friends and your family, email them, or just share it on your social media channels. You can also leave a review on iTunes. Now, that's one of those little things that actually makes a really big difference in terms of reaching other people. And so I really appreciate your help. I'm on a mission to reach as many people as we possibly can to help them get unstuck, to help them move forward with those things that they're really excited about, whether it's in their business, in their careers, in their lives. Also, if you have questions about this episode, you have comments, you have topic or guest ideas, please contact me. You can reach me on Twitter or Instagram, and it's just simply my name. So at Brock Edwards, at B-R-O-C-E-D-W-A-R-D-S. Or you can email to Imperfect Action Podcast. That's all one word. Imperfectactionpodcast at gmail.com. Let's get started.